Welcome to this very special podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This is the first episode of a new podcast series entitled A Lotus Blooms in Central Ohio. This series will cover the history and activities of the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling, which has the distinction of being the first Karmakaju lineage Buddhist center founded in the United States under the auspices of His Holiness the Jawang Karmapa. Our guests will talk about such topics as meditation, the role of Buddhism in urban life, teaching mindfulness in prison, and how an earnest group of American Buddhists seeks to rebuild their temple after an arson fire. We welcome your comments and your donations for our rebuilding campaign on our website, www.columbusktc.org. And now, Episode 1 of A Lotus Blooms in Central Ohio, an interview about the history of the Columbus KTC with our resident teacher, Lama Kathy Wesley. Just a quick note. This interview with Lama Kathy was recorded in February 2019. Please be sure to listen all the way to the end of the episode to hear an exciting update about the current status of the construction of the new home of the Columbus KTC. Lama Kathy, thank you so much for being here on our first interview podcast. This conversation is going to be about the, the founding of KTC and the history of the Columbus KTC. So could you please um, tell us a little bit about how the center was started and why Columbus? Yeah, well, thanks very much uh, for having me on the podcast. And um, it's one of my favorite topics is to tell people how a Tibetan Buddhist monk escaped Tibet and came to Columbus, Ohio in the 1970s. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. But that was the story of our founder, Kempo Karta Rinpoche, who escaped from Tibet with a lot of other monastics in 1959 after the communist um, government put down uh, an anti-communist rebellion in Tibet. And it became a dangerous place for any religious person uh, because there were many arrests and there were some killings. And so many of the monastics had to pick up and leave. Mm -hmm. And among the people who left was Kempo Karta Rinpoche and a group from his home monastery in Eastern Tibet, Trongu Monastery. And he talks uh, in his own biography about having um, been born in Tibet in the 1920s and then doing his monastic three-year retreat in the 1940s during World War II. If you can imagine this, they have no <laughs> knowledge that World War II is going on outside. And yet right. these, um, these monastics are in a deep retreat, learning all the great traditional meditations of the Kaju tradition. And then after retreat, Kempo Rinpoche is uh, requested to come into service as Trang Rinpoche's um, treasurer for the monastery. And uh, and then things are going along as well as they can be until this situation arose in the 1950s with the communist government. Uh, and so once the um, once the monastics realized they had to leave, uh, a group of them got together and escaped together across the Himalayan mountains into um, I believe they escaped into India or Nepal. It was one of the two. And um, Kempo Kartarimache uh, frequently tells the story of uh, actually encountering Chinese troops on their way out and uh, hmm. having to evade gunfire. 
uh, to escape from Tibet in 1959. So this it was a harrowing uh, experience, but he did make it into exile. And he eventually came, in, came before and visited with and uh, had an audience with uh, His Holiness the 16th Jawan Karmapa, uh, Rangjung Ripe Dorje, mm -hmm. who had uh, actually escaped some months before. Um, he had a sense that it was time to leave, and so he uh, answered a, an invitation from uh, one of the royal families and uh, in, in Asia, and he was visiting, I believe, uh, the, the monarch in either in Sikkim or Bhutan at the time. And so, uh, so Kemp Carter Rinpoche, after having escaped himself under harrowing conditions, went in front of the 16th Karmapa and received blessings and uh, was given assignments and things like that. So he helped in the exile community there. And then um, after living in the exile community uh, in India for some time, Kemper Bache became ill. And um, he was at the lowest point in his illness. He had the thought, well, I might die. And, uh, and at that point, he uh, prayed to the 16th Karmapa and made the prayer, if, if I'm healed, I will, uh, you know, I will serve you in whatever way I can. And uh, after, not too long after that, uh, he, his illness did become better. And he eventually went in front of uh, Karmapa, who uh, uh, said to him, well, uh, I'm sending you to America. And so that was how Rinpoche um, came to go to the United States, along with uh, Lama Tenzin Shini, uh, uh, Lama Yeshe Namdak, and uh, some others uh, in 1976. And uh, you'll have to read the Kemper Pache's biography to get all of the interesting details, but um, they came to this country without any knowledge of English. They came, to, uh, they came to America not knowing anything about American society, never having seen an air, uh, airplane before they had to ride one, uh, and so forth and so on. And so um, it was uh, quite a culture shock for them. Must have been. Yeah, it must have been. I remember when we were, um, when Kemper Pache was speaking to a group of us once, he said, but I'll tell you something. He said, uh, America was not entirely surprising to me. And we were all very curious about this statement. And he said, the reason that America was not all that curious to me is because when he said, when I was a boy, I had a dream. And the dream was of a place where uh, there were uh, wheeled vehicles and where the men and women all dressed the same wearing trousers. And so uh, he was obviously, um, he obviously had some connection uh, at least uh, in some way uh, with um, with America, because he eventually came to uh, to live here. And how he came to Columbus, Ohio, is also very interesting, because when they settled in the United States, this was 1976, uh, he was still recovering from his illness, and in fact received medical treatment in the United States for his um, ailment. And after he uh, he was um, after he was recovered. Uh, he um, was uh, working with uh, the, the lamas trying to start a monastery in New York State. Mm -hmm. And uh, it came uh, to uh, be known by the Karmapa that there, were, there was a young couple from uh, central Ohio who wanted to uh, see him. And, uh, and they did. They came to see him on one of His Holiness the Karmapa's many visits to the United States. I think he visited the United States twice in the, in the early part of the 1970s.
Hmm. And um, and so this uh, young couple basically said, we would love it if you would send us a llama. We would love to start a center where we live. And the Karmapa said, well, where do you live? And they chose the name of a large city nearby where they lived. It wasn't actually where they lived, but it was nearby. And that was Columbus, Ohio. And um, the Karmapa is, is said to have been amused by this. And his, his Holiness Karmapa said, oh, Columbus, isn't that the person who is reputed to have discovered America? And they said, well, yes, that's right. And he laughed and said, oh, this is auspicious. I will go there. And so uh, it was after that that Kempo Karthar Rinpoche uh, came to um, uh, the, um, the, the city of Columbus in September of 1977 on his very first trip to central Ohio. And he gave teachings um, there um, in the uh, Ohio State University uh, district. And he gave a teaching on, I think the, the name of the, the, his first lecture was The Thought of Enlightenment. And, um, and then he, uh, he worked with a, this a young couple and another group of people, and uh, they founded the Columbus KTC then, uh, right after that visit in September of 1977. Um, uh, that was when I met Kemper Rinpoche, was on that visit in 19, September 1977. And then um, somewhere between September and November of 1977, um, he asked His Holiness, well, what do you want to name the centers that are, that are founded in your name in the U.S.? What do you want them to be called? And His Holiness uh, wrote out in Tibetan on a piece of paper the Tibetan words for karma takes some choling. And uh, this was the Tibetan version of the name of the monastery he wanted to create. The name of the monastery he wanted to create was Karma Triyana Dharma Chakra. And uh, Karma Triyana Dharma Chakra and Karma takes some choling are the same, have the same meaning. Karma takes some choling is Tibetan. Karma Triyana Dharma Chakra is Sanskrit. Yes. And the meaning is place of the Buddha's teachings of the karma kaju tradition. And so teksum and triyana both mean the three vehicles or the three yanas or the three teachings of the Buddha. Mm -hmm. Chuli means dharma place and uh, dharma chakra means dharma place and uh, karma refers to karmapa himself and the karma kaju lineage. And so uh, that's how the Columbus KTC was founded by uh, the request of this young couple and by the the amusement of His Holiness the 16th Karmapa at the auspicious connection between the reputed uh, European founder of America and the city of Columbus. Right. So that's what that's well, what certainly auspicious for us. <laughs> yes, it's really true. At first, uh, we had a lot of uh, students from Ohio State University and some professors from uh, Ohio State University. Um, one of the professors from Ohio State was uh, Royal Tyler, who last I heard he was in Melbourne in Australia Ooh. as a, as a uh, professor there. And, uh, and he and his wife uh, hosted our center in their living room for a number of months in 1977. And then, uh, in, uh, and then uh, another uh, Dharma friend uh, who had an Ohio State University Connection. The former director of the Nysonger Center uh, for um, 
developmental disabilities research, uh, Jerry Adams. Uh, he became the second director of Columbus KTC. He and his wife, uh, his uh, former wife Kay, uh, were among the first uh, board uh, of the Columbus KTC. And then after that, uh, the, um, the center was located in their home in North Columbus. Um, Royal Tyler had lived in the university district and it didn't, it didn't move very far. It moved uh, to um, the area near Riverside Hospital and then eventually up to Linworth uh, where uh, Kay and uh, Jerry uh, built a house that was built around having two living rooms. One, the one living room was uh, for the shrine and the other living room was for them to have as their living space. And so this uh, this young couple built a center around their shrine. Wow, that's wonderful. <laughs> and now this was one of the first um, Karmakaju centers in the United States, am I right? There had been other Karmakaju centers founded in the United States before this. Um, the uh, the most notable, of course, is when Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche founded his um, his um, Vajradhatu centers uh, in the United States in the early 1970s. And then around the middle 1970s, um, the great teacher, um, the previous Kalu Rinpoche, founded centers in the United States as well. And uh, and so I'm guessing that we would have been the third wave of of the <laughs> of uh, of these um, Karmakaju centers being founded in the U.S. But they were the first that were founded under the name and by the 16th Karmapa uh, Rangjung Ritpe Dorje. And so, uh, as the first Karmatiksam Choling Center, we were uh, we were. Pretty. We had no knowledge of how special we were right. and how unique we were until later, years later, when we looked into the history and we saw that we were the first. And Kemper Rinpoche, Kemper Carter Rinpoche, mm-hmm. uh, who we call Kemper Rinpoche for short, sure. um, uh, Kemper Rinpoche said that uh, it is still his feeling that we were the first of the KTC centers and that there are other centers that predated us, but they were Kalu Rinpoche centers or founded by other lamas. So it's like that. Okay. But still, we're historically significant, at least, mm-hmm. that, uh, that we were founded when we were and, and where we were. It, it was really kind of amazing uh, how many people um, were interested in Dharma. Um, our, our center lived in people's living rooms for <laughs> literally for years. And uh, we were in people's living rooms even up until 1980 when the 16th Karmapa actually made good on his promise and came to Columbus. And uh, in October of 1980, uh, we had no idea what to expect. We knew there would be a large entourage of monks with him, and there was. <laughs> and uh, But we put virtually everybody up at Kay and Jerry's house in Linworth for, uh, I don't remember how many days. I want to say it was somewhere between three days and four days we mm-hmm. put them up at the house. And uh, it was quite a, a scene in this suburban neighborhood in um, uh, in North Columbus where the, the homes were like, you know, $100,000, $300,000 homes. And, uh, and we heard from the neighbors that the um, monks and lamas were strolling through people's yards thinking they were in a park. And that one of the, and that His Holiness's elderly attendant was found meditating under somebody's tree in their front yard. It, so it was a little bit of a cross-cultural 
uh, environment that was a little more exciting than we had planned on, but uh, it was great fun. <laughs> uh, and, and even when um, His Holiness Karmapa uh, had a, a very busy schedule, he spoke uh, and dedicated, a, he spoke at Denison University in Granville. He dedicated a grove of ginkgo trees at the Dawes Arboretum near Newark. Um, he um, he had lunch out at the Dawes Arboretum. He uh, he gave a he gave a talk. Um, I'm sorry, he didn't give the talk. Um, John Gunn the Third was traveling with him, and he gave a talk at Ohio State University. And then uh, His Holiness uh, gave uh, the Vajra Crown ceremony, uh, often known as the Black Crown ceremony, where he um, he recites the mantra of the Bodhisattva of Compassion, um, the mantra Omani Peme Hong, while visualizing himself as the Bodhisattva of Compassion, uh, Avalokiteshvara in Sanskrit, or Chenrezig in Tibetan. And visualizing himself in this way, he places uh, this hat that is reputed to have been made by the Chinese emperor Yung Lo centuries ago um, as, a, as a physical, manifestation of a vision that the emperor had had of uh, a, a spiritual, a crown of spiritual achievement floating above the head of the fifth Karmapa. And this replica crown that the Chinese emperor made is reputed to be the same one that uh, the 16th Karmapa brought in a hat box to Columbus, wow. Ohio, and sitting on a throne uh, that was covered in uh, silk and fabric uh, and uh, and so forth with uh, the Tibetan traditional jawling horns blaring in the East Ballroom of the former Ohio University Ohio State University Student Union. Uh, he he did a Vajra Crown ceremony for 200 people and gave refuge to uh, at least a dozen people, if not more. Mm. And and just before, but. Ironically and interestingly, just before he, he left Linworth to go to this ceremony at Ohio State, there, the doorbell rang, and everyone remembered it was trick-or-treat. Oh, no. It was, it was that Thursday, that late Thursday in October when Columbus traditionally uh, had its trick-or-treat. And mm, so children came to the door in, in Halloween costumes, and the person giving them candy was the 16th Karmapa. So, I, I mean, you know, I'd love to know what happened to the kids. Yeah, absolutely. Just as I'd like to know what happened to those fifth graders from uh, Hebron Elementary who sang God Bless America to him at the Dawes Arboretum. It was a really exciting, I know, it's a really, really exciting visit. And um, it, it for us, it was um, it was a whirlwind. It was exciting. It was overwhelming. It was more work than we had ever planned on, but we were so delighted that His Holiness um, carried through on this promise that he had made, you know, that someday he would come to Columbus. And, um, and we were beyond the moon at, at excitement that this great religious leader would come all the way uh, from India to the U.S. and then all the way to us. Sure. Little little us in, in people's living rooms. He, right. You know. I've, I've seen the photos of, yeah. of him in the living room, and it's a, a little um, surreal, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. uh, but beautiful. I wish I'd been there. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. It, uh, it was very, very exciting. Those were very exciting mm -hmm. times because none of us really, truly understood all there was to understand about the great lineage that he represented. 
we may have heard the name of Milarepa, the great Tibetan saint. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may have heard the name of Marpa, his teacher, and uh, and then the great Indian masters, uh, Naropa and Tilopa. We may have heard all of those names, but we didn't really understand the depth of, of realization that the great masters had. But what we did see was what we felt was the essence of all of that, which was His Holiness the 16th Karmapa, who was a remarkable and amazing person and an amazing presence. And he, uh, he predicted um, uh, on his, during his last group interview with us on the last day before he left for his next uh, journey, he, he predicted that our center would be um, very large. And he said that it would happen in the future. Uh, there was another, there were representatives of another small Dharma center there, uh, which was part of a national organization. And, and he remarked, well, uh, usually this, uh, this center is the larger one, but no, it, it does appear that you're the larger one and it's gonna be fine. You're gonna be very large. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so can you talk me through the history of how you became a Lama, and also the progression of the actual physical locations of the KTC in Columbus mm-hmm. uh, uh, up to the, well, where we are currently. Mm-hmm. I think that um, the, the easiest story to tell is what happened to us after the Karmapa. Because after the Karmapa visited us in 1980, we enjoyed just great... Um, feelings of happiness and blessing, and we continued to do the Chenrezig chant every Thursday night as we had been doing since 1977. And so three years later, we're still doing the Chenrezig chant on Thursdays in Kay and Jerry's living room. Hmm. But then um, they had job changes and they had to move. And when they had to move, we had to move. And we didn't know what to do. And um, we had no idea. Uh, We had been in living rooms and we had the sense that we needed to become more public, but we weren't quite sure what to do. And uh, at this moment, one of our Dharma friends, Robin Thomas, who had at one time uh, owned a restaurant in North Columbus and and was really well known uh, in terms of being able to put together events and concerts and this sort of thing, he he had the idea that he would um, he would rent a large hall and that he would sublease part of it to us. Part of it he would use as an event venue, and part of it he would use for our we would be able to use for our center. <laughs> and it was with that that he undertook the uh, the leasing of the third floor of um, of the building that is at the corner of uh, Doddridge and High Streets in Columbus. This um, three-story building was built in the, um, I'm going to say it was in the early 1900s. It was built uh, as a, a retail space on the main floor and then the second floor, I'm not sure what the use of the second floor was, but the third floor was the meeting hall of the Young Men's Masons organization known as the Order of Demolay. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that, uh, that organization, of course, is now dwindled in size. But uh, in those days, in the early 1900s, it was a, a major force uh, of, of a young men's organization. And so we had an enormous hall that if you would have put chairs in that hall, you probably could have seated 250 to 300 people in it. 
and uh, it was a it was a major size hall, and of course Robin was going to uh, rent it out for events, but we were able to use it, and we used the stage area of this hall uh, to put our shrine, and then Robin very ingeniously he had carpentry skills, and so he ingeniously fashioned a, a folding screen that we could put in front of that, so that he could put it, he could have events in the space and not need to disturb our shrine. So in 1982 when uh, Kay and Jerry uh, needed to leave, we relocated to this building on the, um, the it would have been the south uh, west corner of Doddridge and High. I think I've got that right. Yes, the southwest corner. And uh, we were there uh, from 1982 until 1990. And uh, it was during that time that we began our uh, now what we call our signature program of free meditation instruction and free introduction to Buddhism classes every Sunday. And that happened as the result of another one of our Dharma friends, the uh, martial arts teacher, Stephen Hayes, mm -hmm. who uh, was very interested in Buddhism and had studied um, uh, his martial art in Japan and had come back to the US and practiced uh, some Buddhism. and. He came to visit us, and one day I was sitting with him in the lobby of our now new little Dharma space up in the up in the third floor of the old Demolay Hall, and he was sitting with me, and he said, "Well, where's your syllabus?" And I said, "My what?" And he said, "Like in college, where's your course syllabus? Where's the list of what you teach?" And I said, uh, "We don't have one." He said, "Well, maybe it's time." And mm, through talking with him, through talking with him. We developed a course, and at, at his, in, you know, his inspiration, we started this course, and it took off. And we eventually uh, we advertised it far and wide, and eventually people just came to know that if you wanted to learn how to meditate, and you uh, wanted to get those instructions for free, you would come to Columbus KTC at 10 a.m. on Sundays, uh, and that's and that's how our now famous free meditation instruction started was right there in the 1980s at Doddridge and High. And, um, and we were there uh, clear until about 1990, in the early part of 1990, our building was sold to a group of businessmen uh, who were immigrants and uh, they determined they didn't want a Buddhist center on their, their uh, third floor, they needed it for business. And so they, um, and so they raised our rent. They quadrupled our rent, and there was just no way we could pay it. Right. And we had, while we were at the, that hall at Dodgers and High, we had begun to raise money with the hopes of buying our own place someday. And we had, believe it or not, mostly through fundraisers like going to Comfest, the community festival sure. in Columbus, and raising money there, and. In the old days, you used to be able to go out on the interstates uh, and, and at the rest areas and serve coffee on holiday weekends, and you could keep your donations. Really? Yeah. You used to be able to do that. And so we made $10,000 over a period of, from 1990, oh from I mean, from 1982 until 1990, we had amassed $10,000, which we hope to use as a down payment. Well, this was all very exciting, but of course... Uh, we didn't expect what was going to happen next, which was that the businessmen decided to quadruple our rent and we had to leave. Mm -hmm. And this was in the summer of, um, uh, of 1990, and we were desperate. We, again, once again, we had no idea where to go. 
Now, interestingly enough, Robin Thomas was in the same predicament because now he didn't have his event space. He needed to get a new event space. He needed to do what he could to get a new space. And, uh, and he was also interested in woodworking, so he was thinking about a wood shop. So he was looking around at old industrial buildings and uh, he called us one day saying, I have found the perfect place. It's an old church. And it's uh, down, in, uh, down uh, in the bottoms, which is what Franklinton used to be called right. because it was bottom land on the west side of the Scioto River. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so he said, but you just gotta come down here and see it. It's really great. So we went down and he said, uh, Ken, do you want it? If so, I will have my friend put down $1,000 on it like right today to hold it for us. And we said, uh, uh, okay. And, uh, and because he hadn't steered us wrong before. Uh, and so then we, interestingly enough, a group of us was going to uh, the monastery at Karmatriana Dharma Chakra for the annual 10 day teaching. And this would have been uh, again in July of 1990 because it used to be held around the Independence Day holiday. And we heard about the, um, the, the need for money and we realized that we had $10,000 but we couldn't get a loan because we were former hippies and we never really took records and we'd never really kept a journal of our, a log of our funds and so we couldn't prove to a bank that we were a good risk. Hmm. So what happened was we began going to people that we knew at the 10 day teachings in upstate New York at KTD Monastery and say, would you loan us some money? Wow. And we put together uh, from uh, Columbus and uh, uh, folks and from folks in upstate New York at this program, we actually were standing in front of the, the this 10 day teaching class every day making announcements about the progress of our loan program. And we were writing, uh, we were writing out promissory notes, and uh, and we were going to pay interest only for five years. And people took it, and we got like forty, I believe it was something like forty-eight thousand dollars. And we bought that corner property at Dod at not at Dodridge and High, but that was at Grubb and Rich Streets. Right. And again, this was on the, what is it with us in the southwest corner? It was the southwest corner of, oh well. That's right. But, it was the southwest corner of Rich and Gr Oh, well, okay, there you go. And mm, we were able to purchase that and move in in July. And we stripped all the old pews out and, um, and sold them. And then we took the, the, the floor was almost black. It had been, the, the, the place had been built in 1924 and, and the old oak flooring was still there, but it was blackened with age. And so we, uh, two guys in a hand sander got down there and they sanded it down and uh, put polyurethane on it. And uh, yeah, the floor was beautiful oh, when, was when I attended. First attended KTC in that building. Yeah, it. it I mean, it, again, two guys in a hand a lot sander. Of work. You know, yeah, and uh, and and then uh, Robin helped us, and uh, and then uh, Brad Butters, another person mm -hmm. skilled in, in carpentry and other skills, he helped us. And so so many people, I couldn't possibly name them all, who threw their effort and work into creating the KTC as we know it today. And it, then we remained at the KTC until the building burned in uh, January of uh, 2016. In fact, we had already begun talking about needing more room because we didn't have enough classroom space for our 
introduction to Buddhism and introduction to meditation class because sometimes we would get 30 people mm-hmm. and, the, and our old library, which had been the pastor's office at this church, could not really hold more it was than, a tight fit it was it couldn't hold more than 15 and, I remember. And, and we would and we sometimes would cram people into it and people would come out and they say it was they said that when people came out of our classroom door it was like watching people unload from a clown car there was just so many people it was and we were really thinking about uh, changing uh, uh, changing the place or trying to expand it or buying another property or changing neighborhoods when the fire happened and it was after the fire that Rinpoche Kempel Carter Rinpoche said, I think you need to rebuild this. And uh, you own this land, and the, the land is, uh, I, um, I checked it, it's literally a mile and a half from the, uh, from the main intersection of the city of Columbus in Broaden High. True. And uh, Franklinton was the first settlement in central Ohio. And uh, so we're sort of like at the seat of the beginning of history of, of, the, of European settlers in uh, in the United States, uh, right there, in what used to be the Northwest Territory. And so the first settlement uh, was settled in that area in the 1700s, in the late 1700s. So hmm. we just had all of these kind of auspicious connections with kind of Columbus. Meant to be. And so here we are. And so now we're, uh, we're working on raising money for the, uh, for the rebuilt center. Right. So that's, you know, that's, uh, I guess, um, the... I guess the next chapter will begin when, uh, as we raise this money and make the sort of auspicious connections between all of the people who have gone before, the people who had who hosted us in their living rooms, the people way back in the 70s who hosted Kemper and Pache, and the people who hosted Karmapa, and uh, and all of those all of those um, people, some of whom have now passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I remember them very fondly, and they worked really hard on their practice. They were dedicated practitioners of Chenrezig Mantra, Omani Pemehong. They were dedicated practitioners of the Mahamudra Nundro and the Mahamudra practice. And uh, it's really, really amazing to see the depth of dharma that has come out of this city and the depth of dharma that's come out of this center. That's quite a legacy. <laughs> It, it feels really good, yeah. And, and uh, we're sort of on the verge of the next step in that process, and uh, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be quite a growth um, expansion I'm, when it happens. I, I'm really hopeful because um, uh, the, um, the, the, the director of the KTC, who um, was um, uh, both sadly and fortunately on hand when the center burned on January 31st, uh, uh, 2016, Kim Miracle, um, she had the feeling that we were on the we were on the verge of of making an expansion to our center and upgrading it before the fire, mm-hmm. and so it it seemed to be right in line with what our wish was. And when Kemperviche asked us to rebuild, and uh, she and the other members of the board had this sense that there was um, there was some solidity to it, some rightness to it they began to plan for the next five years where they wanted the the center to be in five years and where they wanted it to be was um, to be growing and expanding. And so when Kempo Carter Rinpoche said, rebuild it, the second thing he said was make it bigger. And so uh, Kim and the rest of the board members uh, surveyed the entire Sangha and got a sense from them of how large they wanted all the rooms to be to accommodate our programs. and. 
they created the plan that we have today with a shrine room that will seat about 100 people, community uh, community um, room in the basement of the center. The new center will seat about uh, between 80 and 90 people, and uh, a classroom that will seat um, uh, 20 people, and a library that will seat 20 people with a removable wall in between, so we could have a class as big as 40. And the children's play area, which is something we didn't have before, and a place for children to learn about Dharma, and all of that. So it's it's uh, going to be quite a remarkable thing. So we're, we're I mean, we're, it's very uh, exciting. You know, we do feel that that growth will come, and around us, uh, around us has been the development of the area of Franklinton, which yeah, the neighborhood came, has changed dramatically just in the last five years. Even. Exactly, and when uh, uh, when local developers began buying the property in East Franklinton, where we are located. Um, they bought it with the intent that they would develop retail establishments and apartment complexes and stores and everything. And uh, artist studios, because a lot of artists were moving into Franklinton mm -hmm. and still are. Mm -hmm. And so now uh, there's a large apartment complex going to be built just four blocks from us. Um, that's going to have like 200 apartments and then another one that's a, about another four blocks from us in another direction they'll have about 300 apartments and so 500 people are moving into our neighborhood and all of them will be less than a 10 minute walk from us hmm. and so we we're really hoping that they'll come and learn to meditate with us and that will be a resource for them and the, the beauty the external beauty of the center we're hoping that it looks like a little jewel box at the edge of East Franklinton. Mm -hmm. We're at the western edge of East Franklinton and the um, the exterior, we're going to have uh, a, a golden spire at the top that is uh, a traditional um, artistic rendering of a treasure vase. And so it's going to it's going to be just a very, very beautiful jewel. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I can't wait to see how people respond to it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but you had asked about the about my own history, and yes. uh, and I can tell you a little bit about that. Good. Mm. Um, my own background in religion, I guess, goes back to being raised a Catholic by a a, par a set of parents who were one of each. My mother was a Catholic, but my father was a Baptist. And my mother had promised her mother that she would raise her children Catholic because it was mm -hmm. very important to her mother. Sure. And so um, even though my father was not that interested in religion, he took us to Mass, every my brother and myself, to Mass every Sunday. And we went to Catholic school. And so I was very religious as a child. And um, I remember having... Um, just really, um, I had a really transformational experience, even as a seven-year-old child, receiving the sacraments of communion, and, mm -hmm. and then old, and when I was older, the, the sacrament of um, confirmation and so forth. There was a real strong connection for me. And, um, but uh, I, uh, when I got to uh, college, after going to 12 years of Catholic school, uh, eight years of elementary school and then four years of high school. Mm -hmm. But when I got to college, um, I really stopped going to church. It stopped becoming relevant for me because I was so um, academically challenged by uh, by college and by the choice of careers and dating and all of that sort of thing. I got married in my sophomore year of 
of college. And so there was, you know, just so much in my life that was, uh, I guess you could say it was a cause of stress that when I became a, a senior in college, I said, you know, my stress is getting to be too much for me. I, I have to do something with my stress. So instead of going back to church um, to calm my stress, I took a yoga course. And the yoga course really helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I, the meditation did everything that was advertised, that it, it calmed me, it relaxed me, it allowed me to let go of my worries, of which there were many. Um, a young person in college has many worries. I remember. And, uh, and so forth and so on, not the least of which is what am I going to do when I graduate? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it was extremely helpful. But uh, after I finished college, uh, I was unable to find a, a yoga teacher who could really give me the depth of instruction that I felt that I needed. And, um, and so I read books and the books didn't really help. I, I read a little bit, I read the now famous Be Here Now by Ram Das, mm-hmm. And that was a, a, like a watershed moment in my spiritual life. And I said, okay, I, I, need to do, I need to do what's in this book, but I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I wanna do what's in this book. Mm-hmm. Well, I was not able to do what was in the book, but um, I, did, I did practice some of the chanting and so forth that he had in the book. And then uh, as I was, um, after I had gotten my first job, uh, because my uh, college degree was in journalism, and in those days, this was 1976, I graduated from college in 1976. That was the year of All the President's Men, uh, the film. Yes. And so there was a great interest in journalism. Uh, but I, had, um, I could claim that I was interested even before that because I knew I wanted to be a journalist from the time I was in high school. Hmm. So, um, but uh, in my first uh, daily newspaper job uh, in 19, was in 1977, um, my, uh, I felt that I needed to continue meditation, but the busy life of a cub reporter at a newspaper was just too much. I couldn't, I couldn't manage it, but I did manage to take a yoga class. And because there was a yoga place in Newark, Ohio, where I had uh, gotten my job, mm-hmm. that's about 45 miles east of Columbus, a small um, industrial town. And um, uh, I took yoga lessons uh, as a stress reliever. And uh, the name of the yoga place was The Yoga Place. And it was in an old um, B&O, Baltimore and Ohio freight terminal. Okay. Mm by the side of the railroad tracks in um, uh, uh, East Central Newark. And it was one of those things, the trains would come through and would rumble the floor as we were trying to do our yoga poses. It was really entertaining. (laughs) But that was where, uh, that yoga studio was where I saw the poster uh, for Kempo Carter Rinpoche's um, talk. Uh, Kempo Carter Rinpoche, as I mentioned earlier, came to Columbus for the first time in central Ohio for the first time in September of 1977. And um, I had just gone to work at the newspaper in April of 1977. And I was getting getting ready to um, attend an evening meeting and I was reading yet another book by Ram Dass. Uh, I was sitting in my car and uh, reading this book waiting for this, uh, I believe it was a city council meeting to start. And, um, and the name of the book was Grist for the Mill. And there was a chapter in it called Lineage. Mm-hmm. And in that chapter, Ram Dass says something to the effect of, 
Well, I confess, dear reader, um, that uh, I uh, am so eclectic, uh, my spirituality was so eclectic that I sort of took one from this column and one from this column and one from this column and created my own religion. Mm -hmm. But he said, I'm not sure that I recommend that to any of you. He said, I would recommend to you that you find uh, a spiritual lineage that uh, proceeds from or begins with uh, an enlightened being and then find modern proponents of that enlightened lineage, study with them, and come to the conclusion, the same conclusion that the founder of the faith came to. So in other words, he said, don't do what I did. Instead, find a lineage that is genuine, that traces its history back to an enlightened being, and then give yourself to that lineage and pursue it to its conclusion. And I remember sitting in my car that evening thinking, yes, that's exactly what I want to do, but where am I going to find uh, an authentic lineage in Newark, Ohio? Mm -hmm. Well, a couple weeks later, there was a poster in the yoga place saying that a Tibetan monk was going to come and teach in uh, Columbus. And I said, okay, uh, thank you universe. And um, I made arrangements to, uh, to attend that lecture. But also because I was a reporter, I, uh, I asked if it would be of interest to the newspaper for me to um, interview this uh, Tibetan refugee, a Lama, who was coming to Newark. And they said, sure, let's do it. So I went and I met Kempo Karta Rinpoche uh, at the apartment in Heath, Ohio of this young couple. And uh, I sat and talked with Rinpoche and his uh, translator. Uh, on that visit, his translator was uh, uh, Mudrip Burkhar, who eventually went on to translate for the 17th Karmapa. He had translated for the 16th Karmapa, hmm. and then later translated for Bokhar Rinpoche in India, and then eventually sure. uh, for the 17th Karmapa. So, um, and so Mudrip uh, Burkhar was doing the translating for my interview. And I asked uh, Kemp Rinpoche many questions. I had been very interested in what I had read about, um, about how women were viewed and uh, treated in some Asian Buddhist schools. And I said, well, uh, how do you account for the treatment of women in uh, Buddhism? Well, of course, I was unaware of the treatment of women in Tibetan Buddhism. I had just read about other Asian schools and Kemp Rinpoche took my, um, my question seriously, and his answer was very impressive. He said, well, you have to understand that there is a difference between religion and culture. He said, if you go back to the teachings of the Buddha, the Buddha taught that men and women were spiritually equal. They were spiritually equal, and mm -hmm. that both had the equal potential to become enlightened Buddhas. Mm -hmm. He said, so anything you see in the modern day that does not reflect that teaching is culture, not religion. And I was very impressed with that. And I also decided to ask him a personal question when the interview was over. So at the conclusion of the interview, I asked if I could ask a personal question, and he said, certainly. And I said, okay. I put down the pen, you know, and I said, okay, so um, I'm interested in meditation, but I don't know how to start. What do you recommend? 
And he was quiet for a moment and got this sort of far away look in his eyes. And then he said, well, he said, there's going to be a time when you want to leave everything behind and enter into a meditation retreat. And then there will be a time when you are back in your everyday life, sort of swimming in your everyday life, but you will always remember what you learned on that meditation retreat. And I said to myself, well, that's really interesting, but what does that mean? Sure. Uh, I had no idea what it meant. And, uh, but then he said uh, that he would be happy to teach me how to meditate and gave me some pointers and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Uh, but it wasn't until the the whole thing didn't really um, um, come into focus for me until 1989, which was many, many years later, when um, I realized that that was what Rinpoche has said to me in 1977, and that in 1992, I entered into the three-year retreat, uh, the very first three-year retreat that Kempo Carter Rinpoche led in mm -hmm. the United States. And that I did that, uh, I figured out that I could do it somewhere around 1989. And I asked Rinpoche, well, would it be all right for uh, me to do this? He says, oh yes, it was always in my mind that you and, you, and then he named another person, would be in the first class. Hmm. And, um, and so that was pretty exciting for me. And then it, I put two and two together and realized that that's what he was telling me when he met me. But he, had that, he had that sense that I would be that person in the wow. future. So yeah, it's, so we talk about the remarkable uh, abilities and qualities of these great masters from old Tibet and for sure. Mm -hmm. Kim Rinpoche, uh, you could say he had the goods. Right, and from another auspicious coincidence, you know, in air quotes. Um, oh, yeah. That you happen to go, you happen to see the poster in the studio, and then you happen to go do the interview. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's a remarkable story. I know, and it it, it, it just, it it, uh, it excites me even now. I, I wrote Kim Rinpoche a letter a number of years ago. He, uh, I never learned to speak Tibetan. And I kind of regret having been so excited to learn everything there was to learn about Buddhism, but I just couldn't, I couldn't master the Tibetan language. Mm -hmm. So I never learned how to speak it. And uh, I only barely know how to read it. Um, but, uh, and I wrote to Rinpoche, I said, well, I never learned Tibetan and, and you, you don't speak English. And so um, I'm really sorry that we were sort of born on opposite sides of the world from one another, but I'm so glad you found me. And I'm so glad that you've given me this life that I have now, because I, I still look at it as a gift, mm -hmm. this ability to, to talk about Buddhism and to go from place to place talking to people about meditation and the teachings of the Buddha. It just makes me, it just, it's like, it makes me happy and it makes me realize just how blessed and amazing it is to be to be a human being in this time even though i know people talk about how difficult it is to live now and that there's so much tragedy all over the world all of those things are true mm -hmm. but um it also is wonderful that there are all of these great beings alive right now in all faith traditions great beings alive who can help to us to lead us out of this difficulty that we're in so yes it's a little bit about me then okay well and you know so many thousands of people have benefited from that meeting you know it's it's um mm -hmm. just sort of the, the whole concept of lineage that it just sort of spreads out like a, like the branches of a tree mm -hmm. and uh 
uh, it's just been a great blessing for all of us. It really is true that that's how it is. Because uh, earlier we were talking about the great masters of Marpa, Milarepa, and so forth, and the Karmapas, all of the Karmapas, and the idea that lineage is this living thing. It's not something that is a, a dusty book on a dusty shelf. Lineage is alive. The lineage of meditation instruction is alive. The lineage of the Buddha's teachings on uh, suffering, its causes, and its solutions, and the path, the Four Noble Truths, all of those teachings and practices are alive in that they have been taught and practiced in an unbroken line for 2,500 years by people who saw their value and lived them out. And, um, and it's, it's just amazing to me that uh, people today in hospitals and schools and prisons, uh, in uh, suburban libraries, everywhere people are learning mindfulness meditation and it's benefiting them because of this thing that happened in Tibet when Buddhism went to Tibet and then when Buddhism left Tibet, it spread all over the world. And so, yeah, this lineage of Buddhism just continues. It's all like, the way to Columbus, Ohio. All the way to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> and then the Columbus KTC is also a living thing that, that keeps moving and adapting and growing as time goes on. Oh, it's really true because when we first started teaching, we were, uh, we were learning one day and teaching the next. So it, it, we didn't have a lot of depth. Mm -hmm. But there were a few of our early members who had been to India, who had met the Tibetans in India and brought some of the teaching back. And so they were sort of our, um, our touchstone, our depth. And now we have people who never went to India, who only learned Buddhism in the United States and who've studied with a Rinpoche and other great teachers. And they're, they're living out their Dharma in everyday life. Mm -hmm. And and we're cultivating new teachers, you know, which is really yeah. exciting to watch. Yeah, it, it's something that we did from the very beginning in Columbus was that we started training people how to teach meditation fairly early in the process. And uh, and then uh, Kempro Carter and Bache basically said, you can teach Buddhism if you teach it along the lines of the three yanas, the Hinayana, the Mahayana, and the Vajrayana, the three uh, levels of the Buddha's teaching. And he said, just keep talking. Hinayana, Mayayana, and Vajrayana. And we look at it, we look at the practices we do at KTC, and they are the three yanas. Quiet sitting meditation, or shamatha, is our Hinayana, or small vehicle practice. It's called small vehicle because it's about the benefit of oneself and the liberation of oneself from suffering. And the Mahayana, or the greater vehicle practice, is the, the compassion meditation called Tonglen in Tibetan, sending and receiving, where we meditate that we're giving happiness to others and removing their suffering as part of our meditation practice. And then our Vajrayana practice is the mantra of Chenruzig, Omane Peme Hom, and the Mahamudra meditation that's been passed down from Tilopa's time a thousand years ago through mm -hmm. the lineage of masters and the Karmapas. So, it's uh, it's it's a going concern, and uh, so it's it's something that we feel is is um, we're very fortunate. Something that we feel we're very fortunate to have in Central Ohio, and uh, we're very fortunate that people are sitting and practicing in, in Central Ohio. Even 
uh, in our uh, self-imposed exile. Our, we're calling it our nomad period, the period sure. between the fire and our new building. Well, that seems like a, a kind of a common thread throughout the entire history of the Columbus KTC is that, you know, it starts small and then people find it seemingly out of nowhere, but obviously that's not the case. And uh, it just keeps going. It's really it's really interesting you should say that because when Kempo Carter Rinpoche first started teaching us, he used to emphasize at the beginning of many, not all, but many of his lectures, the karmic circumstance of the individuals who were in the room. Mm -hmm. He said uh, that uh, your karma has brought you here, basically, that you have a connection to Dharma from your previous lifetimes. And that because of this connection, uh, you have confidence in Dharma, even though it's something that's new to you. Right. And um, and because of that, we felt um, seen, we felt heard, we felt accepted, uh, and uh, we felt led. Uh, and so we were able to to provide. They were the Tibetans were able to provide the atmosphere for us to learn. And then Rinpoche later said, "Now it is time for the senior students," which he means means anybody who's had just a little more experience than the next person that's a senior student it's mm -hmm. time for them to create the atmosphere in which new people can connect to the dharma and um, kemper Bache said this during a, a a talk he gave to the ktcs in 1997 and i took it to heart and it's been kind of my watchwords um that it is the role of the senior students to create the atmosphere for new people to connect to the dharma and that means uh, having a, a place that is um, that is welcoming and warm and uh, orderly and neat and tidy mm -hmm. and uh, comfortable and uh, is built around the uh, the needs of individuals who walk through the door because everybody comes in the door because they need something and so we're there to try to meet that need mm -hmm. and so that's that's what I felt that the KTC has always been good at has been. Uh, accepting and receiving the teachings, holding them, and then handing them on to the next generation. And now, after 40 years, it's, um, it's, it, it's, I, I, so far, so good. So far, so good. 40 yep. years has been good. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's very exciting. So what, what would you like to say in conclusion? And what do you feel like the next, the next immediate steps are? Well, I think the, the next immediate steps are to, um, uh, to raise the last of the money, and uh, and uh, we have we have several things going at once. Um, the right now we have raised about uh, one and a half million dollars. Uh, we we thank the, our wonderful uh, insurance company Church Mutual for the <laughs> for the initial uh, settlement uh, for our fire coverage, uh, which is was uh, over six hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and uh, and so that was the basis, and then we were able to raise money from our uh, Dharma friends in Asia as well as our Dharma friends in the United States, and it brought us to the amount of one point five million dollars that we have right now. But we need to get up above two million in order to safely uh, to feel like we can finish the basic construction, and. Um, and if we can get that 500,000 or so, it's a give or take. I think it might be a little over 500, but if we can get 500, um, we could probably take a small loan to get the remainder, to get the basic construction finished. And so we're looking now for people to give any amount, really. Uh, I've had people, I had people hand me a dollar. I've had people hand me $5. Uh, someone handed uh, me a check for $5,000. So, I mean, 
all of these different uh, donations are, are welcome. And I've met a lot of people who say that, um, it, it, that the economic times are hard for them and they want to give, but they can't. And so what I tell them to do instead is um, become part of our prayer team because um, the, our prayer team, I think, has actually been responsible for more than we might think because it's through their prayers that we probably met some of our donors. It's through their prayers that we met our contractor uh, who was willing to work with us. It's through their prayers that we met our architect and, and all of this. And so I feel that people who even just recite one Omani Peme Hong mantra and dedicate it to us, to say nothing of reciting it every day and dedicating it to us. It, all of these prayers and good wishes, I think propel us into the next part of our of our project. And so I think that whether it's a, the giving of prayer or the giving of a financial donation, uh, all of it is, is helpful. At the time of this recording, um, this is uh, uh, February of 2019, uh, we're getting ready to uh, take our new generation plans in front of the uh, the city, uh, first our neighborhood review uh, commission, and then once we uh, visit with the neighborhood review commission and get their approval, then we have to go through the difficult journey of building permits and so forth. But if all goes well, we might be able to get underway in the spring while continuing fundraising both here and in Asia mm -hmm. to hopefully finish that $500,000, that last $500,000 before the, the bill is handed to us at the end of the year. So sure. it's our hope that, um, that we can go ahead and start this year and that um, if all else fails, we can uh, let the construction uh, be finished when the main part of the building is done and then pick it up again next year. But I'm, I'm hopeful that we can um, that we can attract the donations that we need to uh, finish principal construction at the end of the year. So we're hoping. Yeah. That will be wonderful when that does happen. Um, obviously, we've managed to continue to thrive in the midst of our uh, nomadic period, as you said. But uh, it's we're all just really anxious for the next step. You're not alone. <laughs> I, I, I have I have people coming up and they're saying to me now, okay, now when we get to the new building, dot, 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 we're going right. to do this. When we get to the new building, dot, 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 we're going to do that. Um, we're already looking at uh, trying to plan in advance the children's program. Mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to plan in advance uh, reconstituting the library of, of recordings and books that was lost. Uh, we're trying to figure out uh, how to manage our volunteers in a larger space and mm -hmm. we're, we're we're working on all of that right now well we did just pass the three-year anniversary of the fire and that's been you know a fair amount of time for people to have time to think about what they want to do with the future in the new mm -hmm. building and uh, i know i've i was saying to a, a member earlier i've spent many hours in the new building already in my head <laughs> um <laughs> Because I, I think we, a lot of us are developing a very clear picture of what it is we want to do in the future and what we want to see, you know, for the benefit of, of the neighborhood and the whole community. You know, it's really interesting you should say that because um, some people are familiar with Lama Wangdu, who came to live in the, uh, in, uh, the Columbus area a yes. number of years ago. And he was the one who helped us when we 
uh, were gifted a set of the Tibetan Buddhist scriptures called the, the Kanjur and the Tenjur. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kanjur is the words of the Buddha, and the Tenjur is all of the commentaries. And uh, Lama Wangdu uh, said, well, you know, he said, uh, the, having the Kanjur and Tenjur here in the city of Columbus, in the center of town, he says, it's really meaningful. Mm-hmm. And it is auspicious. Because he said um, the the conjure and tenjure having the full set of Buddhist scriptures anywhere is um, is a cause for rejoicing and virtue. He said when he was young, um, the the village he lived in had uh, difficulty with their crops, the growing their crops, and they decided to take uh, the conjure and tenjure out of their local temple and uh, they and to actually circumambulate the fields, the the agricultural fields, carrying the scriptures in a ceremonial procession on their shoulders, uh, that people would take a few volumes on their shoulders. They dressed in their finery mm-hmm. and uh, and their, I guess you would call it Sunday go to temple clothes. <laughs> right. And uh, and they would they they did a complete uh, circumnambulation of their fields and they had good crops the following year. Hmm. And so every year after that they did it. And so um, what what uh, what Lama said to us was he said well he said look at all of the economic prosperity of the city of Columbus in the last five years. He said, it's, I'm sure, he said, at least in part due to the presence of the conjure and tenjure in the center of town. And I don't doubt that for a minute. That certainly would apply to Franklinton. You know, it's, yeah. it's booming. In fact, they said that Franklinton will, as a redevelopment district, will mm-hmm. be completely finished in five years. All of the construction uh, that is planned for uh, East Franklinton will be finished in five years, which is unheard of. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's a coming together of causes and conditions or the presence uh, of the conjure and tenjure and all of those uh, relic-filled Buddha statues in the temple or what, but uh, we feel feel like we have a a powerful connection with Central Ohio Mm -hmm. and uh, and with the, uh, the city of Columbus, so. Uh, we got to. We we were contacted by Mayor Andrew Genther the day after our fire. He had just uh, taken office as mayor, and uh, we were one of the first things that he uh, he dealt with. One of the first uh, neighborhood crises that he dealt with after becoming mayor. And we just visited him again recently to show him the update, and he was very pleased and was very interested in knowing about uh, how things were going for us. So we feel like we have the support of the city and we feel like we have the support of the people who live in our neighborhood. So um, we're really interested in seeing what happens next. So. Yes. Um, well, would you like to uh, give the information about where people can uh, contact us uh, for donations or just to just to come learn with us in meditation? Yeah, certainly. Yes, yeah, certainly. You can find us on the web at www.columbusktc.org. And, um, and you can find us online there. Uh, we also have a GoFundMe uh, at GoFundMe, and you can just search Columbus KTC and you'll find us. And additionally, uh, people can mail uh, something to us if they want to send us a donation by the postal mail. Columbus KTC's address is uh, P.O. Box 14946 and that's Columbus, Ohio, 43214. Well, thank you so much, Lama Kathy, for everything you, you do. I never get tired of hearing of the, the history of the Columbus KTC and, and uh, the Karmakaju in America in general. I think it's fascinating and uh, 
very meaningful to to so many lives. Yeah, so. this is this is great, and um, I'm just uh, I'm so excited to be part of what's going on, and uh, I just keep thinking of the Columbus KTC as being like uh, a uh, a public utility. We just uh, are there for the service of others, and so hopefully uh, people will be able to make. Uh, use of our sitting meditation utility. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much. Oh, no, thank you. And now, as promised, we present the exciting construction progress update with Lama Kathy Wesley, recorded in October of 2020. Well, welcome back, Lama Kathy, for this virtual update on the building construction process. So uh, what can you tell us about what's changed? Yeah, there's a lot that's happened in the last year. Um, since we spoke last, uh, we uh, have been able to obtain permissions from the city zoning uh, uh, commission, and we are uh, set and, in fact, have already started construction. We got our building permits. It took a little while, but we got them. And our uh, and our new contractor, we uh, got Hanlon Rinaldi of Columbus, Ohio, to build our our structure, and they started on September the eighth, uh, and so the date of this um, of this uh, recording is uh, the twenty first of October, and they started uh, back on uh, the eighth of September. And my gosh, um, the amount of work that you can get done on a small lot in downtown Columbus in a month, it's, it's, they, they've been working really quickly. They already have uh, done the site preparation work, uh, finding uh, the utilities and getting them ready to be hooked up, uh, creating a, um, a underwater retention basin for stormwater so that we are, we are environmentally responsible. Uh, they put our footers in. Uh, they've got the base for our handicap ramp for our front entrance, and the walls have started going up. So uh, we've, I mean, it's just been an impressive amount of work just in this short period of time. And um, the um, it, we even had a, a celebration because I know that folks who are listening, uh, when we first recorded our first update in uh, February of 2019, uh, that was a year before the coming of the COVID pandemic. And when COVID hit us in March of this year of 2020, uh, it was a big shock for everyone. And uh, we were concerned about whether we'd be able to get started on construction, what would happen and so on. But construction uh, has been allowed to continue. And uh, we're, uh, we're looking now at the possibility of having a, a brand new uh, building uh, ready for us next spring. Uh, I think the earliest it could be would be March, but the latest it could be would be May or June. But I think uh, given that we have a, a decent winter weather this year, I think we're going to be able to uh, get the building completed. However, we are still raising money because if you remember when we were talking back in February of 2019, uh, we were about $500,000 away from having the amount of money we needed for uh, to pay for basic construction. Well, in that period of time, the cost of steel and the cost of lumber went up by many percentage points. And so when we uh, got our bids uh, this year, we had a bit of a surprise to find out that even though we had raised money in 2019, we were still $525,000 short of the amount we needed for basic construction. So even though we had raised money during uh, 2019, the cost of 
materials went up about the same amount as the money we raised. So we're still about $525,000 short as of the beginning of this year. But what's happened since then is that we've, um, we've managed through the incredible generosity of our many donors uh, here and everywhere, uh, we've managed to raise $180,000 between January of 2020 and today. And this is, this is almost phenomenal. Uh, so this means now we're about $345,000 away from being able to finish basic construction and be debt free. Now we know there are lots of banks and we have one lined up who does want to loan us some money in order to complete the project this, this next coming year. Uh, but we would really rather not take out a loan and rather not uh, saddle our future Sangha with some debt. So we're, we are still looking for uh, generous people to help us out. Uh, we do uh, have our donor gift program continuing where we will um, uh, give for donations of $1,000. They will receive a special uh, necklace with blessing uh, relic pills in it. And we have uh, treasure vases for those who give at the $3,000 and $5,000 level. And uh, anyone who gives at the $10,000 level or more can uh, have uh, a room in the building named after uh, someone they care about. So we've got a lot of um, options for people who want to donate to uh, make, make this, um, this uh, Buddhist meditation center uh, possible. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that the folks who hear this are as encouraged as we are uh, to hear that the building has started after four and a half years. And uh, we're thrilled to pieces that we're, uh, we're getting started. So that's kind of where we are at this moment. Well, that's very exciting, Lama Kathy. So what are you most looking forward to? I think that after um, four and a half years of being sort of on the road, uh, renting space for our meditation, it's going to feel really good uh, to get into our own shrine room. It may not be fully furnished, <laughs> but we do have some meditation cushions uh, purchased in advance that were given to us by donors during uh, our nomad period, where we're calling it our nomad period, this last four and a half years. And um, we have a lot of uh, shrine materials that are stored in our temporary location uh, at uh, the congregation Tibereth Israel on East Broad Street. Uh, Tibereth has been incredibly generous to us the last four and a half years. And I have to give a shout out to them because they've just been, uh, they've been phenomenal uh, helpers and landlords and, uh, and uh, they've just been incredibly kind to us. And they're not charging us rent during the pandemic because their, uh, their congregation temple is closed right now. And they're, um, they're also holding on to all of our stuff for us, all of our shrine items and so on. So um, when, uh, when the building, new building is finished, uh, we look forward to uh, going to Tefereth and uh, getting, a, getting a little moving truck and moving all of our stuff over to the new place. And uh, we're hopeful that um, as the pandemic uh, begins to uh, abate, which we hope will happen in, for us in the future, um, as uh, the, uh, the profile of the pandemic begins to change and we begin to meet in person again, uh, it's, uh, to me, I, th I think the best thing is going to be that Sunday morning meditation at 10 a.m. 
when we uh, ring the gong again in a in a building that's got a beautiful shrine in it and uh, and many people sitting and uh, placing their mind in a state of virtue and allowing their mind to come to rest and being uh, in a place where they can cultivate some uh, spiritual uh, peace. Because I think that that's really in the end what this building signifies for me is it's a, it's a, we, we've been calling it our sanctuary of kindness, but it's a, it's also a place where people can come to learn meditation and, uh, and learn how their mind is naturally and how to keep their mind uh, open and free. And so that's, I think what I'm looking forward to the most. And um, I'm just, I'm hoping that everybody who hears this is encouraged and uh, I look forward to seeing everyone uh, in the in the future in our new building in a in a slightly different world than we're living in right now. I think we all look forward to that. Well, thank you so much, Lama Kathy, for the update. That's very very exciting, and uh, I look forward to following all the progress, as I'm sure everyone else does. Yeah, you can uh, you can watch uh, you can watch it the building go up uh, virtually. Uh, on our Facebook page, on the Columbus KTC Facebook page, and uh, it, and so that <laughs> anybody who wants to kind of see the progress, that you can you can check us out on Facebook and see. And I think we're also on Instagram, so you can check us out there. That's great. I'm sure a lot of people will be looking in on it. Hey, thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lama Kathy. Oh yeah, most welcome. We hope you enjoyed a lotus blooms in Central Ohio. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Takes Some Choling, or to donate to support our rebuilding campaign, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. Thank you.